Hey Haunties, it's Allie here. Do you ever listen to our show and find yourself completely overwhelmed with terror by the end of each episode? This episode is sponsored by Vinterra Farms CBD products. No longer will you care whether you live or die after ingesting some of their excellent tinctures, gummies, and or vape pens. Make all your friends and family say, I didn't know you were chill like that, as you listen to horrifying tales of crypts and cryptids unfazed. Does a goat man have you cornered on an abandoned train track? Is a toilet ghost knocking on your bathroom stall door? Whatever your unique situation is, Vinterra Farms has the right CBD product for you. Dehaunt yourself immediately, not with sage, but with its cooler cousin, cannabis. For 15% off your entire purchase plus free shipping, head to VinterraFarmsCBD.com and type in promo code HAUNTED15 at checkout. That's V like Vostok, E, N like Necromancy, T like Time Travel, E-R-R-A, FarmsCBD.com, promo code HAUNTED15. Or just check out the show notes and click the link. Thank you for supporting California farmers and farm workers. And now back to your regularly scheduled haunting. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 139 of Let's Get Haunted. If you are new to the show and have never listened before, you should know that the first 10 to 30 minutes or so of every episode is Natalia and I catching up with each other, doing some housekeeping, talking about anything haunted going on in our personal lives, and thanking our donors. If you are not here for that kind of content and you are only here for the story, which is mentioned in the show's title for today, all you have to do is expand the show notes on whichever platform you are listening and the very first sentence of the show description will say skip two and then it will have a timestamp. And if you don't want to listen to our intro, you can skip to that time at any time. Otherwise, welcome to the show. Yeah. Why does it take so long for someone to figure out how to just open up the show notes and skip? Because like the way you've been describing these lately are like describing it to someone who doesn't know what a computer is and like isn't sure (laughs) who they are or how they got here. And so I feel like you're giving them a lot of credit to even assume that they're going to be able (laughs) to skip ahead. You're like, okay, so take your mouse and what you're going to do is you're going to (laughs) use your finger and click. You should be able to hear my voice right now. If you can't hear my voice, then I'll have another link in the description description for troubleshooting <laughs> like <laughs> like they've just gotten well the explanation has just gotten like longer and longer well I'm glad you bring that up because during our break Tully and I took a one month break for the month of January the idea was that we would have a month of like R&R and then it didn't turn (laughs) into that. It just turned into us frantically trying to like schedule things out for the new season and do interviews and like try to, you know, get our lease extended and all kinds of things. So it it actually wasn't a break, but (laughs) that's not the point. The point is that during that quote unquote break, we actually had somebody tweeted us 
and they were like, hey, um, you just lost a listener what? because I just found your show today. I clicked on one of the episodes that I wanted to listen to and you guys spent way too long talking to each other in the beginning. You spend way too long shouting out your sponsors and I'm super unhappy and I think it's ridiculous or whatever. And I retweeted it because I was like, I did like a quote tweet <laughs> yeah. and I was like, hey, like just so you know, like there is a description. Um, if you click it, the first sentence, blah, blah, blah. That whole explanation right. that we give orally most of the time, I guess we didn't give it on whatever episode this person listened to. And then the person ended up apologizing and being like, oh, I feel stupid. I should have, oh. like, I should have looked at the description. So I don't know if they're still listening or not. Um, if you are still listening, ha newfound haunty, thank you right. uh, for listening. And so that's why uh, I am now giving a very long explanation at the beginning of every episode. Well, I guess if it got us another listener, then we're still spreading the gospel. So, you know. Natalia, I wanted to ask you because we didn't get a chance to talk about it in our last episode yeah. that just went live. Um, did you see any more ghosts while you were in Florida? Because you're back now. Mm, yeah, no, I did not see any more ghosts. And you know how I was talking about how I was like so sick? I actually, I have yeah. pneumonia. I did not know this. When we were doing the last episode, I was like, really didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to give everyone the satisfaction of like me being not immortal. But I was like, oh shit, like this is really, I'm really sick. Like I think maybe I've been wrong about like me being invincible like like it could happen to me right like I could fall and break right. a bone like I I could mm -hmm. fail on a health standpoint and and most of my life I've been well all of my life I've been like very lucky that I've been so healthy and so I just didn't think that I w could get sick and then I got really sick and I was just like Oh my God, like I feel like if I don't see a doctor, I could die. Well, I'm glad that you recognize that you needed to see a doctor and that you saw one and got medication. I saw a TikTok that you posted oh, yeah. to at Let's Get Haunted where you were taking your medication, your antibiotics. So yes. thank God yes. you did go to the doctor. I, yeah, I have lots of antibiotics. Um, I, you know what? I really wish I didn't learn this experience because now I feel nervous that like anything could happen at any time like I could just be sitting here right now and all the walls could collapse in on me health is one of the few attributes that you can lose so easily and so out of nowhere like a bus could hit you tomorrow right. like you know it's one of those it's why I get existential about it and why I am so fearful of death because it is one of those things that once something has gone wrong with you even if it's minor right you know even if it's something minor like you broke your arm or something right. like it really puts things into perspective right. like we're all just bags of bones and guts and one day something could just stop working and we have no control over that and it causes me to spiral every time yeah it was gnarly i remember i got a big dose of humble pie because i was like oh gross i can get sick i did not know that I thought that was just for for people who like were could get sick. I didn't think I could do it, but apparently I can. I'm just like everyone else, so that's a bummer. We're all glad. I think I can I can speak for all the haunties when I say very glad to see you on the mend. Glad that you got some medication and glad to just have you here <laughs> to get haunted spiritually. Right. I'm really excited for this episode cuz I know you've been putting 
in lots of work on this one. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yes. And even just the setup for today was like, she sent me an email with the Zoom link. And then it was like, there's also, here's another link with a bunch of different documents <laughs> that you'll need to. And I was like, whoa, what are we doing here? This is really organized. We're about to go on a very beautiful adventure. But before I give it away, because for those of you who are listening, you guys have the benefit of being able to see the title for this week's episode. But as is the dynamic with Let's Get Haunted, the person telling the story is the only one between the two of us who knows what the topic is. So I know what the topic is because it's my episode this week, but Natalia does not. Mm -mm. So she is going to find out all of this information in real time, which I think is one of the unique parts of our podcast. But before we get into the titillating tale at hand for today, I would like to give a very big shout out to our donors. And if you guys have not heard, we have officially made the switch over to Patreon. So you can no longer use our Venmo or Ko-fi. You have to go to the Patreon to donate. And that link is patreon.com forward slash let's get haunted. You can expand the show notes below where you can find a little description about today's episode. You can also find timestamps and you can also find information for how to join our Patreon, how to buy our merch and anything in between. So I am going to begin by shouting out our Patreon donors. And if you are listening to this and you are a donor and you don't hear your name this episode, that is because we, as always, split up the names between several episodes in a month. So if you're not on this week's episode, you could be on next week's episode. But I would love to give a big shout out to Bradley M., Brett B., Levi, Jordan, Michelle H., a.k.a. Lady of Flowers, Alex S., Cheyenne E.S., Kyle P., Emily J., Ashley J., Nick C., Sal S., Uber A., Macy F., Caitlin E., Yas A., Sad Girl Shell, Sydney B., Angsty, Sarah K., Carly, Tyson V., Beatriz, Jim H., Morgan, Kate M., Zane J., Matthew L, Lisa ML, Laura Bakes, Andy, Caitlin D, Ricky L, Leah E, Angela N, Kathy G, Kristen C, Jacqueline N, Sarah M, Taze Exotic Critters, who has a very funny TikTok where there is an cl audio clip of one of our episodes playing in the background while she and one of her little frogs have a staring contest. It's very beautiful. Mm. Lauren G, Taylor, Emily H, Emmy B, British Cyborg, Jordan F, Christy H, Janani S, Roxanne S, Brianne M, Sarah J, Sage, Monica R, Jen M, Sean, Kimberly, Caitlin D, Matt M, Alexandra, Mordo Music, Haley G, Kelsey K, Andrea C or Andrea C. Andrea or Andrea, go ahead and tell us uh, how to pronounce your name in the Patreon. Just comment on anything and I will see it. JB, Michael B, Sarah W, Mecca K, Mr. Satan, Katie T, Mercedes M, Olivia M, Jess, Abby E, Marissa K, Gigi, 
Sam P, Anya, Haley C, Frank D, A Bennett, Katie C, Anne P, Maja L, Emily C, Slug Bunny, Max M, Mars Y, Casey C, Oscar M, Alyssa D, Ashley M, Rebecca, Mason G, L, Sonia, Kevin T, Nadine, and Amanda P. Thank you guys so much. That is so incredible to hear all of those names. A lot. You know what's crazy is that I know that's a lot of names, but I recognize a lot of those names. Does that mean oh, yeah. we're just like chronically online and spend way too much time? Yes. Okay. And everyone <laughs> yes. else does too? Okay, cool. Um, I also wanted to give a special shout out to Jim H. He said he is a truck driver from Georgia and he would absolutely love to hear himself be called out on the episode. And woo, so woo, woo. that is what we are doing, Jim H. Thank you very much for your generous donation. He said, Hey, Nat and Allie, no, I'm not a puppet master, Jim Hansen, <laughs> LOL. I'm Jim Hodges, truck driver from Georgia. I would literally die of happiness if y'all, if I heard y'all shout out my whole name sometime. Welcome to Georgia, by the way, Nat. Love, love, love you guys. Jim, I love to just think about Jim. a truck driver listening to Let's Get Haunted, just yes. driving cross country, um, you know, on the lookout for random cryptids and just hitchhiking ghosts. Yeah, exactly. I would, I'm kind of fascinated. Uh, if you have any fun stories to tell us about what it's like being a truck driver, I would love to know. I know very little bit about it and I would love to know more. I'm very interested. Like you sleep in the truck, right? Like you, you park somewhere and sleep in there. That's always fascinated me as a person. Cause then when I see semis like parked somewhere, I'm like, Oh, is there pr- someone sleeping in there? Jim, you probably have some really cool haunted stories. Like whether or not they are haunted in the way of ghosts or haunted in the way of just like people, I bet you you have come across right. some pretty crazy shit in your oh, life. Yeah. And if that's the case, you should send an email to letsgethauntedpod at gmail.com because I want to hear about how many times you have almost been murdered. <laughs> and I want to hear about any like weird... Uh, tattered, clothed ghosts mm. hanging out on the side of an abandoned roadway with their thumb out. The being was trying to make you stop, but you, Jim, because you are so smart, you did not stop. I want to hear all those stories. And if you did stop, I want to hear that too. Right. Yeah. Either way, we just want to hear more. Do we have any other announcements? Oh my God. Wait. Yes, we do. If you are following us on Patreon or on Instagram or on Facebook, you saw that Natalia and I, that Let's Get Haunted, which includes the haunties. I feel like this is Mm -hmm. something that includes all of us. We We recently took home two, not one, but two American Writing Awards. Wow. The first award was for Best Comedy Podcast. And the second award was for Best Entertainment Podcast. Wow. Hell to the yes. How is that even, like... I didn't even know you were allowed to get two awards from one of these companies. I believe we entered in three categories and yeah, we won two of them. So that's what I mean by this is a win for all of us, not just me and Nat, but also the haunties as well, because we are all part of this um, decrepit organism (laughs) that is living and breathing on its own, even though it shouldn't be. (laughs) 
and we all get to share the spoils of war right let's get haunted is like the black carpet wandering around no one knows how it got there why it's there what its purpose is (laughs) but it's there and it's being detected on multiple uh devices that's right. Yeah. You can't deny its existence because it's been caught on thermal camera, even <laughs> if it cannot be detected with the naked eye. <laughs> Natalia, are you ready to get into today's haunting? <sighs> You're never really ready, but in the interest <laughs> of keeping the energy up, yes, I'm ready. Let's get haunted. Here we go. For the season five premiere of Let's Get Haunted, We covered the haunting of OP Rock and the paranormal side of the war in Afghanistan. Today's episode is meant to be both a complement to that episode and provide a different perspective altogether. While it is true that through no fault of its own, the country of Afghanistan has been ravaged by the rise and fall of foreign regimes within its borders, no country should ever be reduced to its hardships. The reality is that Afghanistan is vibrant, diverse, and even awe-inspiring. It is a country of great beauty and of rich history. One of our favorite things to do on Let's Get Haunted is shine a spotlight on new cultures and folklore as told by people whose background is rooted in that region and today is no different. This episode, I am honored to have gotten the chance to learn more about Afghan folklore from two people who approach the topic from nearly opposite ends of the spectrum. Haunties, today you will be hearing from some of the most fascinating and accomplished guests we've ever had the pleasure of speaking with, and I can't wait to introduce you to them. But first, let's dive into some quick background to get everyone up to speed. Part 1. Afghanistan As we learned in episode 133 of Let's Get Haunted, Afghanistan has a uniquely powerful history. For a more fleshed out deep dive of the country's past, Haunties should go back and listen to part one of our season premiere. But here is a quick refresher. Landlocked at the crossroads of Central and South Asia lies the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Referred to in textbooks as the heart of Asia, The timeline of its history is flecked with dots of both tragedy and triumph. Due to its rich natural resources, geographic location, and other external geopolitical factors, the country has time and time again found itself surrounded and indeed often invaded by foreign powers. For example, both Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan set up shop at various points in the distant past, a fact which can still be actively seen in the valleys and mountains of Afghanistan today in the form of ruins and artifacts. As for the not-so-distant past, the Soviet, British, and American militaries have also found themselves established within the country's borders in various decades, each one of these military powers leaving behind their own scars on the terrain. In an article published to the website of the United Nations, author Bijan Omrani describes Afghanistan as follows, quote, Afghanistan can thank its geographical position for its wealth. It sits at the heart of Central Asia, at the meeting point of ancient trade routes, known together as the Silk Road. These trade routes go out to all parts of Asia. Some lead east to China, some north to the great cities of Bukhara, Samarkand, and Kiva, and then to the nomadic steppe. 
Some lead southeast into India, and others east into Iran, which then lead to the Mediterranean Sea and Europe. Goods wanting to pass between any of these places had to go through Afghanistan, and thus Afghan cities strategically placed along these trade routes were able to benefit massively as places of mercantile exchange. Afghanistan's impact on world trade can be seen very far back in history. For example, the blue lapis lazuli stone in the famous funeral mask of the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun was exported from Badakhshan in Afghanistan to Egypt in 1300 BC. Even before that, around 2500 BC, lapis lazuli was exported from Afghanistan to Iraq for the harps buried with the king of the ancient city of Ur, some of which can now be seen on display in the British Museum. This shows how long the trade routes have been in operation and how far back they reached. In a paper published to the Journal of Near Eastern Archaeology, author Jill J. Stein remarks, quote, Afghanistan is the quintessential crossroads of culture, where the civilizations of the Near East, Central Asia, South Asia, and China interacted over the millennia in a constantly shifting mixture of trade, emulation, migration, imperial formations, and periodic conflict. This complex history of contacts gave rise to some of the most important archaeological, artistic, architectural, and textual treasures in world cultural heritage, encompassing cultures as diverse as the Bronze Age cities of Bactria, the Persian Empire, the easternmost colonies founded by Alexander the Great and his Hellenistic successors, the Kushan Empire astride the Silk Road, the monumental Bamiyan Buddhas, and Islamic dynasties such as the Ghaznavids, Timurids, and Mughals. Excavations at sites such as Bamiyan, Begram Kapisa, Ghazni, Hara, Shortugai, and Tilyatep reveal the outline of a long and complex cultural sequence ranging from the Paleolithic through the Islamic periods. End quote. Because of this unique historical context, it may come as no surprise to our listeners that Afghanistan's oral and written folklore is bubbling with vibrant creatures, spirits, and stories. To help us make sense of all this, I feel extremely fortunate to be able to introduce to you all now two guests. Our first guest is Dr. Homayun Sidki. Born in the U.S. to parents who were born in Afghanistan, Professor Sidki has spent much of his time studying mysticism and paranormal belief systems in Afghanistan. He approaches topics from the pragmatic point of view of an anthropologist because, well, that's what he is. Our second guest, Par, is a Canadian woman of Afghan descent who approaches the folklore of Afghanistan through a more modern, spiritual, and believer lens. Together, I feel that these two guests provide a well-rounded look into Afghan folklore. For the sake of structure, let's follow the words of author Lewis Carroll, written in his book Alice in Wonderland. Quote, Begin at the beginning, the king said very gravely and go on till you come to the end, then stop." End quote. And a proper beginning, dear haunties, must begin with introductions. You are now listening to a clip from an interview between myself and Dr. Sidkey. 
Hello, haunties. Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Let's Get Haunted. I am very, very excited today to be joined by Dr. Ho Myun Sidki. He is a professor of anthropology at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, having received his PhD from The Ohio State University. His current anthropological research focus is on religion and the paranormal, which includes beliefs in ghosts, psychic powers, magic, witchcraft, mysticism, shamanism, the shamanic origins of religion and supernaturalism, and mediums and oracles. He has conducted ethnographic research in Afghanistan, northern Pakistan, Nepal, India, Easter Island, and Central Australia. He has dozens of published works that can be found in academic journals, such as the Journal of International and Global Studies, the Journal of the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the Journal of Asian Folklore Studies, just to name a few. I'm going to have some links down below in the description if you'd like to learn more about his work. And he also has a couple of books available for purchase on Amazon, which I am also going to link below in the show notes. And he is joining us today to discuss specifically paranormal beliefs in Afghanistan. Hi, Dr. Sidki. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. My parents were from Afghanistan. But I was born and raised in the United States, and that was the reason I my interest in that part of the world. And uh, because uh, as, uh, as a child, my father worked in the United Nations, so we traveled all over the world. So it was going to be strange if I did not become an anthropologist, given that background. And so that got me interested in anthropology and uh, over time, I've added and elaborated my uh, my focus, but it's always been centered on religion, mystical beliefs, uh, supernatural ideation, stuff like that. Do you find a clear delineation between mythology and folklore, the difference between those two things? Or in your field of research, are you looking at both? There is a separation in the sense that folklore tends to be beliefs that are very widespread. Mythology tends to be specific stories that may not be shared widely, mm -hmm. but are accessible. Do you find any similarities in your study, in your studies between Pakistani beliefs and Afghan beliefs? There are lots of similarities, and the common denominator is Islam. Mm -hmm. And many of the ideas that we'll talk about uh, originate in the context of Islam and it's spread beyond Arabia. But Pakistan and Afghanistan share many cultural similarities. And that boundary that differentiates Afghanistan from Pakistan was really an artificial one created by the British for their own reasons. And it basically cut similar groups and put them into two separate countries. So there are lots of similarities between uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. One of the interesting things that we learned on our previous episode about Afghanistan was the layers of cultural deposits, perhaps, that have been left on the country over so many rising and falling empires or different countries that have come in and tried to take over Afghanistan or take over that region. We talked a little bit about the Great Game, which was the Soviets and the British coming out of India, Alexander the Great to Genghis Khan, who all walked through there. And in talking to some of the people who have visited the country, they really speak about how fascinating it is and how significant the country is. And I was wondering if that holds true for you. 
Well, absolutely. Um, Afghanistan has often been referred to as the crossroads of civilizations, and its unique geographic position has a lot to do with that. But it's also where uh, there was a melding of cultures emanating from the Indian subcontinent and from the Persian Empire. And one of my areas of research that probably did not come up in connection to this is studying the the impact of the Greeks on Afghanistan. Uh, so after Alexander came through, he left behind many, many settlers and they developed a powerful Greek uh, kingdom in Northern Afghanistan. And this was Greek through and through. The, their children read Homer, they had uh, uh, Greek style houses and we know them mostly from their coinage. And so for 200 years, uh, there was a powerful Greek nation, a Greek civilization there. And that's also kind of uh, affected the artistic traditions. Uh, there uh, is an artistic tradition known as Gandaharan art, which was a combination of Indian art and Greek art. So uh, in many of the archeological sites and many of the uh, archeological finds, uh, we find uh, Indian artistic tradition mixed with Greek. There was a very famous uh, archeological site in near the city of Jalalabad in Eastern Afghanistan. Uh, where you had uh, they had excavated a Buddha, and next to it was a statue of Hercules. Oh, wow. And that site was known as Hada. And sadly, all of this stuff has, has been lost because of the war and so on. And the giant Buddha statue in uh, central Afghanistan in Bamyan, which was one of the largest statue, Buddha standing Buddha statues, destroyed by the Taliban. Uh, if you look at its uh, pictures, it's a Buddha standing wearing a Greek toga. So those are some of the kinds of things wow. that shows you the blending of cultures and, and traditions. And of course, there are other uh, cultural influences as well. But uh, but I've, uh, and I've written a book called The Greco-Bactrian Kingdom of Afghanistan. And that talks about that portion of uh, Afghan history. That is so fascinating. You're right. No, that did not come up in our previous episode. And I know we're not here specifically to talk about history, but I think it's sort of inevitable, right? When we're talking about folklore and belief systems and religion and supernatural and paranormal belief systems, it seems to me as a lay person that all of these different mixing of cultures must have an effect a lingering effect on some of these belief systems. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so the diversity of cultures and the diversity of uh, points of view, and even phenotypically, uh, when I teach courses on the Middle East, uh, I often show my students pictures and say, tell me where these people come from. And there's one picture of a little boy who's blue eyes, blonde hair, and they can never place it. And it's from Northern Afghanistan. So not only have the cultures impacted, but the people themselves have left their, their mark in this place uh, in the heart of Asia. And what in particular has drawn you to explore more deeply the supernatural or mystical aspect of these belief systems? Um, my interest in um, 
religion began very early uh, as 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 I was growing up, I was exposed to many different cultures. And I realized that there are so many similarities and differences in the sorts of beliefs that people label as their religion. So that kind of comparative perspective then made me explore. And then my own uh, personal background and so forth uh, made me focus on Afghanistan. But from Afghanistan, my interest expanded to Pakistan and beyond to Nepal and the Himalayan area. And ultimately, these are all in adjacent cultures and there's been a cross-fertilization. Now, sometimes when we interview people, they have a very clear line between, or they view a very clear difference between religious stories and paranormal stories. There are some um, folklore episodes that we've done, some people we've interviewed who view it as offensive to correlate their religion to something paranormal, that perhaps um, that is sort of anti whatever their religion might be. Um, do you view the paranormal or mystical side of religion as being antithetical to the religion itself? Do you find it as being blasphemous or do you find it as being one and the same or something else? That's a really interesting and a significant question because religious believers everywhere uh, tend to be very sensitive about their own, their beliefs are personal, that defines their identity. So uh, for an outsider to come and say, well, look, your beliefs are sort of like the paranormal beliefs of culture Y that can be offensive. But uh, an anthropologist have a, an approach to religion which uh, is labeled as methodological agnosticism. What that means is I'm not going, I'm not concerned about whether or not these beliefs are true or is there's evidence. I just want to understand them in the context and how it it kind of affects people's identities and their views of the world and the universe. But having said that, though, uh, in my most recent book, uh, it's called Religion and the Paranormal, I do correlate the two together. And uh, the idea is that, okay, religious people may be very sensitive, but we do have to talk about these issues at some point. And it basically looks at religion in its totality and explores similarities between uh, what otherwise would be called paranormal beliefs, like, for example, alien abductions. Mm. And there are parallels to that in religious traditions. They may not talk about aliens, but there are these supernatural beings that have sort of similarities. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely linking that down below. I think that I'm going to read that for sure. And I think our audience would be very interested in that. Caveat that if you're a uh, you know, sensitive religious person, don't read it. <laughs> I think most of the people that listen to our show by this point are pretty open-minded. We try to expose people to as much as possible, but that kind of leads me to um, an interesting question, I think. Do you, so you're saying from an anthropological perspective, as an anthropologist, you look at things, taking the emotion out of it, it sounds like. Where do your personal beliefs lie in terms of the paranormal? I am sort of like a minority within the broader universe of anthropologists in that my orientation is scientific. So I am a scientific anthropologist. And uh, when I look at religious expressions, I try to find out what are the naturalistic explanations for these things. So uh, I view religion not as something mysterious from beyond, 
but as an aspect of human behavior. It's a natural human behavior. So where does that come from? And in this area, uh, some of my work on the origins of religion uh, deals with um, the body of research uh, known as uh, cognitive psychology or evolutionary psychology. And that uh, research tells us that it's natural for humans to have these beliefs because of how uh, the human mind evolved over time. So we have minds that generate ghosts, even if ghosts didn't exist per se, we'd still see them. The human mind is the process of a long evolutionary development. It evolved not to give us an accurate, picture-perfect uh, image of the world around us, but to give us quick ways to decide, make decisions to survive. And so our brains are kind of like... Uh, we impose patterns on things to make quick decisions. And in our past, that enabled us to survive. And one of the things that's involved there is known as an agency detection module, in the sense that if you're walking down the road, uh, you hear brushes in the trees, you immediately think, is that a person or a beast or an animal? Or if somebody wraps against your door, you're sleeping at night, you immediately think somebody is coming in. That's our first uh, uh, first kind of go-to. If we're wrong and it wasn't a person, we lose nothing. But if we were right, that could have given us uh, an option to kind of survive. So that kind of agency detection, our ability to, or our tendency to impose patterns. Why do we see faces in the cloud? Why do we see a face on the moon? We don't want to see a face on the moon. We just do because of how our brains operate. So these um, anthropologists who do this kind of research say that the way our brains are wired makes us prone to see not only uh, anticipate agents in, in the environment like uh, dangerous animals, but also to posit the existence of supernatural entities. Mm. Uh, so if you go from a material agent to a agent that's not material but has uh, intentions and can act and so on. So this is a really fascinating area of, of research and in a sense it provides us with uh, an explanation that kind of avoids superstition and uh, all kinds of prejudice but looks at it in terms of how evolutionarily humans evolved to perhaps have religious beliefs. You are now listening to a clip of an interview between myself and Par. Okay, guys, today we are joined by Par. She is a tarot and oracle reader, a spiritual mentor, and a twin flame intuitive guide who you can find on TikTok and Instagram at Soli Par. That's spelled at S-O-U-L-L-Y-P-A-R. And today we are very honored to have her joining us to talk about Afghan folklore. Hi, Par. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I know I just gave like a little introduction to who you are, but would you mind introducing yourself to our fans as well? Yeah, sure. My name is Par. I actually started TikTok not too long ago. It's probably like within the year. I started pursuing my, my tarot and oracle reading business fairly recently as I went through an intense spiritual awakening about two years ago that pretty much turned my world upside down. And I talk a lot about that on my, on my TikTok and 
yeah, I'm there to help people through the twin flame journey, finding divine love, alignment, that kind of thing. Do you want to talk a little bit about what this spiritual awakening was? Oh my God. So I thought I was dying one day and I was just like, okay, I'm having a heart attack. It's fine. It's over. And I felt like a very sharp pain in my chest that started to feel like a bubble of air developing in my throat that I couldn't swallow. And I've had like, I've had anxiety pretty much my whole life. And I was like, Oh, it's just anxiety. I'm just gonna sleep this off. It's fine. And I called my sister. I'm like, this isn't going away. And she was like, do you have anything you can take? So I like took whatever I had also still didn't go away. So I called, um, like, I called emergency line and they were like, okay, we're going to send an ambulance. And they were like, are you sure you're not just having an anxiety attack? And I was like, no, I think I'm going to die. And then they took me in and were running around in circles, like panicking for about like the whole night. Wouldn't let me sleep. Wouldn't let me eat anything. They admitted me. And turns out I had basically what happens to people when they get hit by a car or something and like the air just gets like knocked out of your lungs into your esophagus and you're like around your esophagus and your throat and they said that they were like did you get hit by a bus or anything (laughs) like making I'm like no I would have known if I did I just was sitting in my bed casually and it was related to the twin flame um situation the, the person that I had met that um this was our first separation and I just my whole body just went into shock and then I started to hear voices after I came out of the hospital and changed my entire life I stopped eating meat I stopped doing all kinds of things and everything nothing was ever the same again after that experience and I remember the first time I heard a voice was when I was like you know what if I die I don't really care like I was saying I was like I'm good I don't I'm good been through a lot of trauma. So I was like, this is enough. I'm cool. I'm not going to fight it. And which is kind of morbid. So like trigger warning, but I was like, and then I heard a voice say something in you is going to die, but it won't be you. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like random stranger voice. That's fine. I guess we're, uh, we're going to see what that means. And then I started seeing the angel numbers and I started hearing the voices and they started telling me what to do. And I just thought I was crazy and everyone else did too, until I, the voices were telling me things that were true. And then I was like, oh, am I psychic? Is that what this is? <laughs> like, is that what's happening to me? And then gradually it started, I started to ground into it and stop being afraid of it and just accept it. And here I am. Did they ever figure out why you had this air escaping your esophagus? No, they were like, oh, it's gone now. So if it comes back, like be sure to return. They did five CAT scans. They would not let me leave. I didn't eat for days because they wouldn't let me because in case they had to do emergency surgery and because um, they were worried that my lungs would collapse from the air pressure. Yeah, no explanation. And I've heard that from multiple people who went through the same thing on the twin flame journey. And that's when I was like, wait a minute. So that actually brings me into my next question because I watched a TikTok that you put out where you mentioned that you come from a very spiritually inclined family. I was curious if you could give some examples. My sister, when she was a little kid, she would walk into a field and put her arms out. She was probably two and a half, maybe not even three. And swarms of butterflies would just land on her. And she like, it's like she was calling them in. She would just put her arms out and they would all just land on her. Like my mom said, it was like hundreds at one point. And they just, we've always had like a a sort of inclination, but because people in Afghanistan are raised very strictly with the religion, like we're sort of 
in denial of it or we're told to deny it. Um, so my dad, after I went through my awakening, told me that he could see auras. And I was like, you're telling me this now? He's like, well, every time I tell anyone anything, they just try to lock me up. So I didn't want to go to a crazy house. He's like, I just, everything I say to my doctor, I'm like, you don't say that to your doctor. But he was like, I haven't told anyone one, because it's like shameful or embarrassing. And two, because people just assume that you're schizophrenic or unwell and you need medication, which we do have a lot of mental health stuff in our family too. But I sometimes wonder how much of it is is actually mental health and how much of it is real because my sister will say things sometimes and she's like, I'm probably just schizophrenic. I'm like, no, because there's no way you would have known that. There's no way. But um, my dad actually told me my aura colors that two other people had told me previously. And it's like, a, it was like a blend of specific colors. And I was like, okay, so you actually can see them. But yeah, we've all, we all sort of have abilities and we all sort of have ex had experiences with the paranormal quite frequently. You know, and something else that I saw on a TikTok that you had posted was that there are some you said something about seeing your mom with her hair standing on end or something can you talk a little bit about some of those experiences as well yeah um so we would just be talking to her and then her hair would just like like fully stand behind her head and and we just kind of were like okay <laughs> like we don't really know how to react to it nothing really came of that um we you'd be talking about someone and then their picture frame would fall off the wall stuff like that I've had my own experience where something actually tried to harm me um I was like walking out of a kitchen that was like one of those like deep kitchens that doesn't have any windows or anything so the dining room is out here and then the kitchen's like uh, maybe six or seven feet in into the little wall like a little room and the fridge is all the way on the end like I would say about seven feet from the doorway and I'm walking out of the kitchen. So I'm in the doorway and seven feet away on the fridge, I had this like glass bottle of olive oil that shattered over my head as I'm walking out of the kitchen and like million pieces blood everywhere. And I collapsed on the ground. And then I could hear something in the kitchen touching things, like moving things around. And I just closed my eyes because I didn't want to see it. <laughs> and I was like, I, I knew nobody was in the house. I like it was completely just me. I lived in a very weird, like creepy sort of area where there's like train tracks behind my apartment and stuff. And I was going through a very dark period because someone close to me was um, was ill and on the verge of passing, which I think is it made me further from God at that time. And I had openly said that I don't believe in God anymore. And I think whatever it was, was like, ooh, <laughs> opportunity. So like an <laughs> olive oil bottle shot seven feet towards the back of my head. Yeah. And like shattered. So like, you know, those thick, like they're thick glass. So I was just, and I just laid there and I called my sister and she was like, oh, like you need to, um, you need to to pray and you need to like that's the first thing they say they're like pray and then that night and for multiple nights I kept hearing like because as a kid I was um like taught to pray in in Arabic like recite the Quran and stuff so in my dreams I was hearing those those um those I, I don't know what to call them but like repeating those um excerpts from the Quran yeah mm -hmm. like I was hearing myself do it in my sleep in my dream so it was like, like 
even though I was like, I don't want anything to do with God. My dream self was like, well, yeah, you do (laughs) in whatever capacity. And that's the place at that point in my life was what, that's what I knew. So that's what I know my higher self was like calling in for help. And I think that that's why I think various different types of prayers from different religions have a similar essence and a similar concept because I still pray now and my mom and I have gotten a lot closer even though she has her religious beliefs and I have mine so you mentioned that your family is from Afghanistan is that correct it's Wardak which is like a little bit north I believe of Kabul I want to say north it might be wrong but um it's more of a rural like farmland kind of place there's a lot of jokes about that so I've heard they're like the hicks of Afghanistan <laughs> so my family will say <laughs> I'm in Canada so we came here when I was two so like 32 years ago 32 years ago and um I was actually born in transition to coming here so I never actually lived in Afghanistan I was born in Pakistan um during their refugee like transition they were trying to get their paperwork and everything to come here so my parents and my two older sisters lived there um and then you know were smuggled through the mountains via donkey at nighttime to get us to pa- or get them to Pakistan and then lived there for a few years i was born a couple years later we made it to canada there was uh, it was the soviet war so soviet posts were everywhere um and you know, monitoring that nobody could leave or enter the country so people were doing all kinds of crazy things to get out like if you ever watched the movie kite runner like some people went through those like they um, would climb into like empty gasoline trucks and like be smuggled out that way if you had money in our case they went by foot so they literally had a group of them were walking through the mountains by foot at night and had their kid, like, I think my sister was five and the other one was in, maybe four and the other one was a newborn. So they had tied the one child to a donkey. Like you couldn't have any lights, no flashlights, couldn't make a peep. So, and the six month old. So they were just hoping that, you know, she wouldn't scream. She was a pretty quiet baby. So they managed to survive. Um, can't say the same for all the friends and people that they ended up traveling with. But yeah, quite quite a bit of trauma there. Um, and I think that also those kinds of experiences hinder your abilities too. Like when you have a lot of trauma and baggage, like if you have psychic abilities or mediumship abilities, they become clouded by or by the heaviness that you're still carrying. So I think that probably contributed to them like dismissing a lot of their their beliefs and stuff. So they're just like, oh, well, you're just traumatized. You're just having right. PTSD. Yeah. Well, and I also think when you come from, you know, generational trauma or a wartime situation. And that's something we've talked about on our show as well. The priorities are not to explore why you're seeing an aura, right? The priority is to survive. And so I think that a lot of that, you're right, gets pushed to the wayside because that is not seen as a necessary tool to survive. You know, surviving is being quiet, on a donkey trying to cross through mountains, right? Surviving is just trying to find your next meal. So yeah, I think you're right. I think that wartime, especially we see a lot of paranormal experiences that are not fully explored until maybe two or three generations down the line where somebody has the time and the safety to do that. Right. And the trauma changes the brain too. So that 
they've seen that enough to be able to just categorize any experiences into that that same bubble I guess do you notice a difference between um I'm not sure how tapped you into the Afghan Canadian um, community you are but do you notice any differences with the or even with just within your family do you notice the differences within your generation and the previous generations in terms of how they um interact with the paranormal um I don't really know that many people in the community because I've always been like weird like black sheep I've done things my way I rejected the religion pretty young and was like this just doesn't feel right for me and you know you can imagine the kinds of um, backlash I faced not only from my own family but from the community so I just stayed away for a very long time it took many years for my mom to even sort of be comfortable with expressing that she has a relationship with me because you can tell you can see I'm like tatted I have like piercings like I don't care I have no interest in you know I had no interest in being married at 16 or arranged or whatever plans they had for me luckily my dad was not um didn't want any part of that uh which is usually a lot of Afghan people my age can't say like there's a couple people that I follow on TikTok that sort of talk about being kicked out by their family and that it's the best thing that ever happened to them and that kind of thing and there is still like a strong rigid hold on the cultural expectations that are like I would say rooted in the religious practices but um I I have like at least on TikTok and stuff and from word of mouth through word of mouth seen people trying to to break free or like find their own path uh which I don't think has to be outside of religion if it's something that you want if that's something that feels right for you it didn't feel right for me ever I was like why am I doing this why are you making me do this <laughs> I want to be myself I want to be free and and I still like I think that since my awakening I've gotten really really close to like spiritual beings and God and and I never thought that would happen because I had rejected the whole concept because I was like nope it was mean to me and I want nothing to do with it and um, now I'm like, oh, wait, these things are real <laughs> and they exist in all these different religions and they're talking to me and I'm not crazy. And this is pretty like there have been things that I've encountered um, certain deities and they had told me they've told me things that I there's no way I would have known that were in the Bible. And I was mm -hmm. like and then I Googled it and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's that's real. <laughs> like what, what? Like where am I getting this from? But it makes me realize that we all have like we're all tuning into the same to the same source and the same energy it's just a matter of um are you able to do so or are you just going to listen to somebody who tells you what it is and i just i never resonated with that like someone telling me this is what the interpretation is and like if i can have my own connection why not i would ask the questions i literally ask them sometimes i'm like hey this says this in the bible what does this mean and I got an answer. It's pretty cool. Like when yeah. you talk about hearing voices, do you mind explaining how they come through? For example, do you hear a feminine voice, a masculine voice, or is it more of just like a thought that pops in your head without a clear voice? Um, it's all of the above. It depends who it is. So if it's my voice, typically it's my higher self or my inner critic. So I have to like discern between that. I've worked pretty hard to understand what the difference is. Um, Cause it could be like 
inner child wounding, you know, hearing a caregiver's voice in your own voice, like we all hear that voice. And for me, it's in my mind, I don't hear an audible voice outside of me, my sister sometimes does. And I've known people who do, but I don't. It's, uh, it's mostly as thought. And then certain deities, I hear their voice, like a masculine voice, a feminine voice, but I have to tune into it. Like I'll hear something said, and then I'm like, wait, 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 who was that? And I have to like channel or like focus into tuning into that, that voice or that being. And I'll often get, cause I get imagery a lot. So I'll get a flash of an image of their face or something or how they present themselves to me. Cause they know I'm a little baby. So they're not going to show me themselves in their like true essence. They're going to be like all pretty for me. And I'm like, amazing works for me. <laughs> but, um, so I'll see a flash of a face and then I'll see the lips moving and they're talking. And I've had experiences with extraterrestrials like that too, which I was like, oh, you're crazy. Tralala. There's no way this tall blue lady from Andromeda is talking to you. And then I met another psychic girl who's like, who's the tall blue lady that's like following you around? She's like hovering over you. And I was like, okay, well, there's that. <laughs> like, that's fun because she's talking to me, but like she's talking in like sonar, which is probably like wacky for some people to hear. But I'm seeing like, like her mouth open and it's like, I can see that it's waves, but I'm understanding what she's saying to me like telepathically. And I was like, wow, you've lost your mind. And I go through that a lot where I'm like, okay, like that's a weird random thought to have, but I just dismiss it. And then other people will confirm it to me and, and spirit, God, whoever you want to call it, will send me those people to confirm it to me. They're like, Hey, Hey, you're not crazy. Like we're going to tell you like five times a day if you, if you need to hear it. But I do think I have a lot of crazy trauma in my, in my family lineage. Like I do think a lot of people in my family lineage were locked up for similar things going way back. Um, or burned or whatever like I when I was a kid I used to tell everyone I was going to be like I was going to die in a fire when I was 19 I was just like yeah I'm going to die so it's fine I'm not going to live past 19 they're going to burn me and then when I lived past 19 I was like oh <laughs> and now it makes sense and like that probably happened at some point or I'm picking up on ancestry as all good haunties know, here at Let's Get Haunted, we pride ourselves in providing diverse points of view with open minds, and this episode is a perfect example of that mantra. But before we get too deep into the weeds in discussion, it's time for me to reveal the two Afghan folkloric entities that our guests will be discussing with us today. Giants and Jinn. Part 2. Jinn. Let's go back to the interview with Dr. Sidke. If you look at the religions across the world, uh, the notion of uh, ghosts, spirits, demons, uh, they may have cultural embellishments, but uh, but a very basic level, they're very similar because all human minds operate the same way. And wherever humans are, they impose upon their environment the presence of supernatural beings of a wide array. And since we're creative and imaginative, then we elaborate upon them. So the idea of a jinn, for instance, which is thought to be linked to Islamic tradition, uh, is not very different from beliefs in uh, like a tribal culture in South America. They refer to it by a different name, but uh, ultimately they have lots of similarities. And I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great segue because I kind of wanted to explain to our audience how we got to this topic. So for our audience members that listened to our season five premiere, 
we had a three-hour-long episode centered around paranormal occurrences during the war in Afghanistan, as experienced by British and American military forces. And during that episode, we focused particularly in that episode on Soviet ghosts spotted throughout the region. We talked to some different military, uh, former military men and women who had seen what they perceived to be uh, the ghosts of Soviet soldiers. And in that episode, we also had a healthy discussion about PTSD, hallucinations, sleep deprivation, and those sort of things. But as we were exploring the cultural side of that phenomenon, we came across a discussion of gins. And so I wanted to talk to you about that today. And I guess we'll begin by just saying, what are gins? Before we do that, I'm just curious. So the folks in that interview were in Afghanistan. And they reported having these experiences of seeing ghosts they thought were, were Soviet soldiers. That is very interesting. Uh, there's a saying uh, from Afghanistan that, you know, the, the dead are more powerful than the living. Um, you're an ordinary person, you die, but given the circumstances of your death, you can become really powerful. So graves um, where human bodies have been interred. Um, they have a sense of wariness and, and also uh, a sense of awe about these places. So, for example, uh, someone who's fought in a war and has been martyred, like fought for a religious war, uh, martyrs' graves have extraordinary supernatural power, and the locals sort of uh, tap into that. And so jinn are they are pre-islamic in other words jinn were found in pre-islamic arabia uh, but they were incorporated into islam by the prophet muhammad and uh, they are mentioned in, in the quran as well as there are the the topics of a number of uh, theological uh, treatises uh, and once islam spread out of arabia it moved, uh, it originated in Arabia and then moved outwards. Uh, the idea of the jinn then spread with Islam itself. So the two are very, very closely connected. So in the Islam's holy book, the Quran, uh, jinn are mentioned alongside of uh, angels or malaika and demons or shaitan. And uh, in the, the theological idea is that the jinn were created along with humans, uh, but they were created out of what they call unsmoking fire. Mm. So these are entities that are different from us, but they were also the creations of God. And uh, they appear, uh, there's a lot of theological uh, discourse about it. And in the 101 nights, they appear as the genie that then becomes part of uh, what you see in uh, Aladdin cartoons and so on, the genie of, but the jinn of Islam is nothing like that. These are powerful entities. They can incorporate, assume human form. They can assume uh, the form of animals and they have other powers. I remember one time um, there was a, a, a couple of old ladies talking about the jinn that they thought resided in their courtyard. And they referred to them not as jinn, but as those that are better than we are. So there's a sense of reverence too. So there's uh, 
theological foundation for the belief. And uh, there's also this idea that as Islam, de Islam developed out of revelations uh, from Allah to the Prophet Muhammad, and every time a revelation was made, people would uh, he would tell those to the folks around them. And so in the mythology or in the folklore, uh, it is said that when the Prophet Muhammad was revealing the revelations of God, some jinn were there listening. And so these are uh, good jinn. They help people. But there are also non-believer jinn who don't follow the Prophet, but they are linked with Iblis or, or, or Satan. And they can uh, cause death. They can bring misfortune, sickness. They can lead people uh, astray. They can also possess people. So in, in Afghanistan, they have a term called jind giriftan, meaning jinn has taken or overcome. So it's a form of uh, spirit possession. And when that happens, then you have to take uh, resort to specialists to, to treat it. So, so the, the, the beliefs in jinn is just fascinating and it's elaborate. And as, as these beliefs spread to different cultural contexts, they also acquire their own particular uh, attributes from the cultures where these beliefs are spread into. But witches are also mentioned in Afghanistan. They're known as shishak. And they have things like they will uh, project a, a thread through your window into your body and steal your liver, that kind of stuff. So they're really scary, but they're not directly or in any way connected to Jin. They're just another one of those paranormal entities that form the larger body of, of these entities. So the Jin that you had heard the two uh, older ladies discussing, you know, there's a Jin living somewhere in their courtyard. Were they speaking about a person that they thought was inhabited by a jinn, or were they speaking about just a jinn lurking somewhere in a dark corner of the courtyard? The jinn was uh, in non-corporeal form, and uh, places like abandoned houses, uh, places where there's accumulation of filth and, and sewage, uh, crossroads, these are the places that the, the evil jinn tend to inhabit. So you have to be very wary when you, uh, you know, cross those places. And uh, to protect themselves, you recite uh, verses of the Quran, and that will get you through. The evil jinn are malicious. Mm -hmm. They cause harm. So they can make your children sick. They can make people die from terrible diseases. They uh, can haunt houses and, and sort of pester people. Uh, there was one story about how a family, every night uh, at dusk, stones kept falling in and banging against their walls and into their, their courtyard. And when they'd go outside, there would be nobody there. So that was a gen sort of infestation that was annoying and scary. And so... This went on and on and on until they then sought remedies and found out what the problem was and addressed that. The notion of a poltergeist is a spirit that causes these sorts of things like throwing things, breaking objects, opening goods. So the story I told you is kind of similar to a poltergeist in the European context. 
good jinn tend to be helpful, but they try not to intrude into human affairs. Mm. It's the other ones that are, because the believing jinn are good Muslims, and they would not you know, do horrible things to Muslims, but they can help if they if the occasion arises. The talismans are there to offer protection from entities that are harmful or that can cause harm. So in Afghanistan, they have a tradition where, especially young children, wear these little packets called tawis. Uh, these have verses of the Quran, and then they're encased in a, a clean cloth and stitched in, and people wear them. And so if you have that on, that'll offer you protection, uh, sort of like the talisman that uh, that appears in the Catholic tradition and some of the other Christian traditions. Now, you're saying that the jinns are pre-Islamic, but then were also spread through Islam. So are these primarily religious entities now, or would a secular person also have a belief possibly in jinns? They might if they encounter one. So you could be a secular dude, but if you see one of these things, that might change. And I suspect that's what happened to those soldiers. So what I mean was, uh, when I say that jinn are pre-Islamic, meaning that the original beliefs stem from the supernatural beliefs of the pre-Islamic Arab tribes. And Islam developed in that context. And as Islam became, uh, and Islam is a monotheistic religion, it discarded all those pagan idols and stuff, but some of the beliefs were incorporated. So the fact that the jinn are mentioned in the Quran is an indication that these pre-Islamic beliefs were kept, but they were given a, a, a Islamic interpretation. But in Afghanistan, this connection between the dead and the spirit of the dead is very powerful. People report, the Afghans, uh, that they saw a light in the darkness and later they find that there was a grave of a person who was martyred and so the, at night they give this uh, mystical light that glows and uh, afghanistan has also been referred to as the land of bones that's a book by a historian named uh, i forget his name he's done work on the the greeks and in uh, and, uh, and alexander in afghanistan uh, there are so many uh, uh, different violent events that have left archaeological deposits and sleep paralysis. I was actually talking to my class uh, yesterday about this phenomena and how it can have religious connotations in the sense that a person may not interpret it as an abnormality in how you wake up too early in your sleep cycle and your body's still not moving because uh, when we sleep, uh, we don't tend to act out our dreams because when we go to a certain uh, REM sleep, our bodies don't move and we have dreams. But once in a while, you wake up before uh, the paralysis of your body is gone. And at that time, people see entities around them that could appear harmful or threatening. Uh, people, a lot of these alien abduction stories linked to sleep paralysis. So that's fascinating stuff. And I would like to talk to these soldiers that you interviewed at some point. Uh, folks who see it or experience it uh, are convinced that these things are real. And in fact, the everybody that has a paranormal belief that is strongly held 
they somehow have had an experience that convinces them that that actually is a is an actual event. I remember a young man was telling me about he was driving his bicycle late at night and he encountered these uh, horrifying beings that were sort of quasi-visible and he thought they were jinn and that really scared him and he pointed to his hair turning white because of experience. Does a jinn have a certain characteristic or way that they look or are they shape-shifting? They're shape-shifting. They can appear as a human. They can appear as a wild animal. And in some cases, even as like a scorpion. Uh, scorpions are predominant in lots of areas of Afghanistan. And uh, uh, some of them can be uh, these supernatural entities in disguise. And if you get stung by those, it's more lethal than an ordinary scorpion. So they assume the sort of... Uh, appearances of things that are threatening and harmful uh, but they tend to shape shift so they can even appear as a relative like a doppelganger right right or uh, you know that was my relative but then i came home and found he was sleeping how could i have met him in the field down there that sort of thing oh but that's chilling <laughs> it is <laughs> um so this idea that some uh, people can be possessed by jinn, and the term for that is jinn to get her thong, meaning possessed or held by a jinn. And so that's similar to the idea of spirit possession elsewhere. And when that happens, you have to uh, appeal to a per these individuals who have powers over the jinn. And there are these specialists who have rituals that they perform that enable them to become masters of jinn and when some jinn event happens these individuals are sought out to help so how does one get into that field of study would it be like a religious leader that you would seek out to help you or is it someone who has a degree in genealogy what is <laughs> <laughs> what is the what are the requirements i don't think they offer masters or phds in jinn yet but there, sometimes a, a, an important religious figure will have what is known as baraka. That's a term from the Middle East, but it's equivalent of that idea there, where the person who's really devout and holy uh, and a religious leader has this sort of uh, power emanating that can help people. But there are particular individuals who set out and I'm not sure what the story is now because Afghan society has been ravaged and uh, my encounters with it were before the wars that have altered everything. But in the old days, there were these people known as Malang and Malang uh, are an odd group of people. They're kind of hard to pin down. Sometimes they're just somebody who does magic tricks like a sleight of hand artist. In other cases, they may be a person who has mental issues. But in other cases, they are individuals who are thought to have genuine supernatural powers. They uh, undergo a ritual where they attempt to bring under their own control a certain group of jinn. And so there's a, a ritual they perform. They do it sitting inside seven circles. They recite these uh, uh, verses uh, over and over and over again and as they that's called zikr and as they do that 
the zikr could be passages from the Quran. The jinn will come and approach, and as they're defeated, they stay behind each of the circles. Only the most powerful can get to the inner circle. And if this person is successful, he can then enslave them and use their powers. Um, and so such individuals uh, can appear in pe these uh, holy men can appear in people's dreams. They can fly, it is said. You can see them in two cities at the same time. So they have all sorts of paranormal attributes. And so these are the ones that have direct power over the jinn. You know, some of those powers sound a little bit like astral projection. Okay, so astral projection is basically a case where my body is here, mm -hmm. but my spirit has traveled elsewhere. And that's an idea that has foundations in Christianity and even in uh, Tibetan Lama, Lama Buddhism. Uh, but these people, uh, the, this no, there's this kind of a anecdotal stories about, hey, I saw this guy there, and we were in the car, and no car passed us, and when we came to this other town, he was right there. But these are not astral projections. It's somehow mm -hmm. that these individuals can manifest themselves in two locations at once. So now you're getting into not astral projection, but maybe quantum physics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now let's hear what Parr has to say about Jin. Wondering, could you also talk a little bit about Jen? Because you mentioned you had some stories surrounding Jen. Like my grandmother used to get possessed and people would just put her in a room and just wait for it to pass. And she would like slam into walls and speak different languages. And it was casual. My sister actually remembers this. And then she'd just slam into, all, into a wall and then speak a different language. And the story behind that was that she had accidentally killed the child of a Jen. We don't know. I don't know where that story came from, but she had stepped on it or did something. I'm not sure. So this mother of this gin possessed her. I don't know. She distinctly remembers like the crazy things that would happen. And she would be speaking like actual different languages. People would know they, they knew what areas they were in. They like to be in like kind of um, heavily like areas with a lot of trees a lot of bushes that kind of thing so like there was certain areas that you wouldn't go to like forage for berries or food or whatever because you knew that you could potentially and you can't see them most of the time they choose not to be seen so for safety reasons so they could like you could hurt them without knowing and then they come after you there's there they give me a similar as like feel to fairies and that they can be mischievous they can choose to um, we can choose to harm you if they want to, they have the free will to do so, or they can choose to be aligned with God. Like it kind of is the same concept as us, but they have this additional ability to, to see, be seen, to shapeshift those kinds of things. So a lot of people in Afghanistan are also afraid of cats. They're afraid of certain animals because they are known to shapeshift into cats. People have like, you know, let a cat into their home and then the cat disappeared and stuff, weird stuff started happening. And, um, those types of stories I've heard a lot. My grandmother was the main one that I had heard where they, I, I guess like they figured out now that I'm thinking about it, that when she was speaking when she was possessed, she had said, you killed my baby. So that's where they got that from. So they were like, oh, she must've accidentally done something that was not um, supposed to happen. They... I don't know why, but they tend to be obsessed with long hair. 
So if like a lot of the women would cover their hair for that reason too, like outside of the religious thing, if you're going out, you would cover your hair. Um, they could, they can fall in love with you. I've heard of that too, that they can become obsessed with you. So like, like there were stories of like the most beautiful girl in the village or whatever, not, um, you know, starting to get possessed and going crazy and stuff. And they, then she would say that, no, this, this is my person. Like I'm, she's only for me and those types of things in like a different voice. So all kinds of like wild stories, but, um, they are, I don't think they're bad. I just think that again, you don't want them. I just don't mess with anything. Like ever since I was a little kid, like people would be like, let's play with the Ouija board. I was like, absolutely not. Or like five immediately. No, <laughs> I was just like, I am out of no, thank you. And I just don't dabble in things that I don't need to dabble in. It's just right. never been something that I've been curious about. I don't need to know. And I don't mess with fairies. I know people will leave them offerings and do these things. And I'm like, you are nuts. I would never do that in a million years because they can be great and they can bring you things that you want. But then again, that is at what cost, at what cost. That actually leads me into a thought. Jinn are so entwined with Islam that it is interesting to me to hear you say that, you know, you rejected sort of the traditional rigid um, religious guidelines that perhaps your family grew up with. But then to also hear you say that, you know, giving some credence to this idea that perhaps your grandmother had encountered a jinn. So how do you reconcile those two worlds? I think that they are just, they just have different names in different places. I think that they're all like 4D beings that are capable of things that we can't do. Like because a lot of them can shapeshift and they can, um, you know, be seen, choose to be seen, not be seen. I think that they just have different names. I would say like a jinn probably, I don't know, because I haven't studied folklore, like don't quote me on any of this, but a jinn could be called like a gnome somewhere else or a fairy or whatever you want to call it. Because there's different types of fairies and they look different and not all of them fly and all kinds of weird stories that you hear. I think that there's a it exists everywhere for a reason. It's just called something different. And in Islam, I know that jinns are said to be like, they have free will, like, but so do fairies. And so do all these folkloric beings. They have free will. They just are in the 4D. So they have one foot here and one foot on the other side, essentially, is like what the the concept of these shape-shifting type of beings or like the visible invisible beings is is that they have access to a dimension we don't have access to yet do you think that whatever threw the olive oil bottle at you in your home do you think that that could have been a gin it it wasn't scary to me like so i can feel if something is very terrifying like there's something that is bothering or like trying to access my sister right now that I'm feeling that scares me and I've had dreams about it and stuff and it's not a good thing I don't allow it to to make me scared because I know that that frequency is not going to help me uh, be able to do anything about it but I think it could have been a gin it could have been a fairy it could have been something that was just like like wanting to cause havoc and was also chaotic and and disturbed 
like I think they can be disturbed as well because it wasn't like I want to kill you it was just like I'm gonna throw things and then after it did that I heard it like moving dishes around and like pushing dishes across the counter and stuff so it was just chaos so I was not afraid of it I wasn't like oh you are going to kill me and I, I should run for my life and I'm scared I just was like oh you you are disturbed sir like <laughs> you need help but I'm just gonna close my eyes until you go away and it did so I think it was just like it gave me like Tasmanian devil like chaos energy vibes it was just like I'm in here and I'm gonna throw everything and I throw this at you and all this and it was like because I didn't have that protection I didn't have that connection with God for once in my life I I denounced it out loud and I've never done that that this started happening and it was also when this person was like about to die and I knew that he was going to die that this sort of stuff started happening so I also questioned if it was like maybe like because he was about to go that it was like attracting more things because he was not the greatest person like in a quite significant bad way so I was like maybe I'm attracting things that are tuned into that same frequency it could be beings but I actually don't even know what it was it just gave me chaos and disturbed and unwell but I didn't think it was a ghost or like a dead person right. so I have no idea it was weird I was what no one believed me I was like okay well I'm just I just hit myself over the head with an olive oil bottle it's fun <laughs> And some like well, scientific friends of mine were trying to tell me like, maybe like the heat caused the fridge to sort of, you know, expand and like tilt and then, and all this like crazy stuff. And I was like, that sounds more absurd than what I just said. <laughs> like wild, like the justifications I find very funny. Part three, giants in Afghanistan. Something else that I came across besides Jin was the idea of giants that live in Afghanistan. And the way I stumbled upon that was I was reading accounts online. I did not talk to anyone firsthand who had experienced this, but I was reading some other accounts online of British and American soldiers in Afghanistan seeing giants. And then my co-host, Natalia, was telling me that she was talking to her grandma and her grandma was saying to her, oh, yeah, we have giants in our lineage. And Natalia was saying, what are you talking about? The way that Natalia's grandma explained it to her was they were all recruited for different armies and killed in battle. And that's why we no longer have giants in our lineage. I was wondering if you had come across anything about giants in folklore in Afghanistan. Right. There is a tradition of um, they're referred to as Afreed, A-F-R-E-E-T, Afreed, or Deu, D-A-U, Deu. Uh, and there's an expression if somebody acts like really uh, stupid and uh, they say, oh, a day you have struck him because if a giant strikes you, you lose your mind and you become a simpleton. So the, there are stories about that uh, within the larger uh, folklore of Afghan beliefs. And it's interesting, uh, again, I'm going back to the discussion of these soldiers. Uh, Hollywood has created a number of horror stories based in Afghanistan, where American soldiers encounter these incredible uh, paranormal creatures and other things. So Hollywood's already contributing to developing this folklore a little bit more. 
Here we find ourselves talking with Par again about giants. My mom always used to talk about like there was certain valleys because they lived in a very rural place that a lot of people didn't even have electricity. They didn't have access to um, like the the things that would deter these types of beings from living there because it was complete darkness. They could go incognito. They can live their their life without being seen, without being you know attacked. Because let's be honest, like human beings get scared and they go and murder things. So <laughs> she had told me that there were certain valleys and certain places that you knew that if you went there, you either came back injured, you can't, something attacked you, you couldn't see it was dark or you were dead. Like you were just never seen again. And then people had actually seen these giant beings um, on multiple occasions. So they just aren't curious and they don't know, like they don't dabble. They don't go there because they want to see what's there. Like there's a sense of respect for it too. Um, leaving well enough alone I think is like a common thing in these types of places because they just don't care to bother with it they don't need to know and she told me that she had heard from I think it was I don't know if it was somebody's her cousin's father-in-law I think had told her that he they lived in a very rural area and his wife was sick so he had to take her to a clinic across town so he put her on a donkey and he wrapped her up and um, started taking her across town through this rural area that had no lights and no no people living there. It was like very dark, very scary. And it was late because he had to travel for a while. And he saw this woman standing with like very, very long dark hair. And she had, he said, she said he had, she had really big eyes. And as he started to get closer, he just sees her standing there and staring at him. And his he said that he felt his entire body get dense, like almost like it was harder for him when she looked at him to move his body. So he stopped looking at her and he just like was started praying and stuff and walking with his donkey and like kind of showing her that he's no harm or no, um, no interest. And then she started slowly following him. So he, as he passed her, she's like slowly following he can like feel her behind him and he keeps going and he keeps praying and he's just like and then he turned around and he saw that she had stopped I guess she realized he wasn't a threat and she was wearing tattered clothes like that were like almost like hand stitched together um very old like uh she was probably like 10 feet tall like something like that very very large and he said that the just the intensity of looking in her eyes like she like could hypnotize him kind of thing so he broke eye contact and kept going because it started to make his body feel dense and heavy. And he said that even his like the bottoms of his feet were sweating, like his whole body was breaking out into sweat because he knew that she was capable of like doing something that she chose not to do because she didn't feel threatened. So she kept going. There was another one that my mom said, like an elder in the community and not someone that she was related to told them that she's he saw this like person in the distance and then it was um no he's it wasn't a person it was a goat he saw a goat and the goat was acting not how a goat would act like pretty sporadically and like jumping around in a very strange like way so it caught his attention he was like what's wrong with this goat and he looked at it and then it shapeshifted into into a giant so he watched it like turn into this giant person and then he ran um, so there's those types of stories too that I've heard um, of things shape-shifting that people have witnessed, but 
that time they didn't have cameras and they didn't have any kind of way to capture these things. It's just word of mouth and you can just dismiss it as crazy. But um, when multiple people in the community and in other communities are having the same experiences or similar experiences, it starts to make you question. Um, and then there was another one that like I had my former stepsister who was also from Afghanistan told me her uncle saw somebody like in the distance that he thought was a sister. So he started running down to like the river to go talk to his sister. As he started getting closer, he noticed that, oh, this is not his sister. This is a very giant person. And he was like, he had been calling her name and he, the being, which was a woman turned around and answered. And like, he, she said he had like a very like sinister looking smirk on his face, like, and then stepped over this giant river. <laughs> Like that's how big it was. And then he just like turned around and ran away. So that's like a few of the the giant like experiences that I even have heard through in my immediate circle. I'm sure my mom has tons of these stories, but she she cut me off at one point because she was like, I'm scared. <laughs> She's like, I'm done. I'm done because I'm by myself right now and I'm not having this conversation anymore. Um, but they I do think that they have like parent like extraordinary uh, abilities like I don't think that they're just big humans like, I think that there's more to them like I think that they do like hunt and they do have to eat and they have to do the same kinds of things but um yeah my mom was also telling me about how recently in Afghanistan and very rural areas that there was like fires being started out of nowhere so people started putting up cameras to see um what where these fires are coming from and they're just spontaneously being like started so whatever it is you can't see it on camera that's starting it and that's like a thing that has been on the news and stuff too something that you had said was this so this olive oil bottle like explodes on the back of your head there's like glass everywhere you hear like dishes moving around it's very chaotic and you didn't want to look at it and it oh no, I'm wondering was... what do you think would have happened or what feeling it's just instinctive you? like I don't like makes me think of like the giant where they made eye contact and that's it was like why I'm asking I think subconsciously I knew that there's power in the eyes I've always known that and that's where I notice people who don't have good intentions won't look me in the eyes so it's like there you can hypnotize people through looking at them there's just like a, a knowing that I had and back then I was the farthest thing from spiritual I had no clue about the eyes I think like the eyes are the window to the soul. These cliches didn't come from nowhere. I think that they've been around for a reason and they've been passed down and they've been repeated in various different, um, like various different parts of the world. And my guides often say things to me that sound like cliches. And I'm just like, okay. And they're like, they came from somewhere because you're not right. just, a lot of people dismiss us as their own thoughts but you're hearing your guidance, you're hearing that's what your conscience really is. And here is a small clip from Dr. Sidkey. Are there any other supernatural entities besides jinn, besides giants that sort of stick out to you as maybe another centerpiece of Afghan folklore? Yeah, there are, uh, I guess you could, the rough translation would be demonic beings. Uh, the term shaitan, uh, is usually refer is a reference to the devil or Satan, Shaitan, Satan. It's the same, same root. But uh, they're demonic entities uh, that are harmful, malicious. 
and they just uh, thrive on causing uh, pain and grief and death upon people, and they roam around too. But in Afghanistan, the jinn are more prominent than uh, the the demons, but ghosts are prevalent. Uh, Afghanistan, even before the war, uh, I constantly heard stories about people encountering ghosts. Uh, one story that was really kind of scary uh, was that uh, this young girl uh, reported how she was walking up the stairs of their house and it was very dark and she came upon this lady who was wrapped she had a shawl, white shawl around her and had a candle in her hand. And she didn't know who this person was. And she called to her. And that image disappeared. And then the next day, she found that the lady next door had died at the very time when she had that experience. I do wonder, and this is something we sort of touched on in the episode, what it is about war that sort of brings out the paranormal. Maybe not just in relation to that, but what is it about these scary, uh, violent things that bring out the supernatural in people? I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that. I've read stories about in Vietnam where uh, they would see a certain uh, image, and that image, like a, a, a lady in white. Mm-hmm. And that would be a signifier for something that would happen. Either people would die or they'd be saved. But war uh, brings violence. Death is the centerpiece of war. And humans everywhere uh, are afraid of death and dying. And so in a context which is so violent, and in the last uh, 40, 50 years, Afghanistan has been a place where violence has been rampant. Uh, those conditions bring about uh, these perceptions that you know death has a specific kind of manifestation. So they will see things that have to do with the dead. Uh, even I remember a story where death, not from war, but from epidemics of cholera, mm. and how people would see harbingers of death during these terrible epidemics where lots of people were dying, houses were abandoned. So dying is something that humans have a hard time wrapping their heads around. And so where it happens, we have to have some forms of uh, how that fear is expressed and how it's explained. And so spirits and supernatural entities linked to those serve as sort of an explanation. So these are some scary and powerful stories that really impact those who experience them. Finally, to conclude this episode, I asked each guest to provide some closing thoughts or parting words that they would like to leave our audience with. First, here is what Parr had to say. People have abilities and it's not just my family. Like I've met multiple people that we're just so in tune to that kind of world. And I've encountered a couple of them through readings that have booked with me that were like um, talking to me about these kinds of experiences, but because of the amount of trauma from war, they're not able to tune into those abilities in the same way. And, and I think a lot of that is a plan. Like, I think it's like, and not just Afghanistan, I think various parts of the world that are sort of targeted in that way, because in the same way that we're taught to dismiss our our ability to tune into these things and our six senses um, 
they want they don't want these types of places and the people of these places to be able to tune into that because they can shift the energy Mm -hmm. because if you start tuning into that you can shift energy and if energy is shifting then what you do in the physical is not going to matter I think we could say that about all oppressed groups Mm -hmm. like that there there's a power that they are being oppressed for a reason and that throughout history that's always been the case where can people listening to this reach out to you if they do want to work with you? I have a link in my Instagram and in my, it's the same handle. I have a link in my TikTok. That's just like, mostly I do like tarot readings that are healing focused. I do some energy work and activations with my guides, whatever comes through for the person. I've had some very interesting stuff come through so far. But whatever is needed, um, we'll kind of work through. Uh, a lot of the time, people will just book readings just to find out what they need to balance and what they need to focus on. I've had things come through like, you know, you're focusing too much on controlling things, but you need to actually heal the father wound. And this is how you can do that. Like those kinds of things will come through depending what the person needs. So I think that's been a very helpful tool for me because it also helped me. Um, not lie to myself like I think tarot was like the biggest eye-opener about the things that I completely was in denial about my shadow because I'd be like oh I think I was perfectly amazing in this situation and I pull some cards and I'm like yeah actually you were a brat and (laughs) you need to work on this and that and it helped me get so much deeper in my healing called to work with me only if you feel called and by all means that's the most important thing no gimmicky like I don't like to do advertising and stuff because I'm like, if someone is meant to find me, they'll find me. My final question is, do you have a message or parting words that you would like to give to our listeners? I just want to say that no matter what you hear, no matter what is out there, don't allow it to make you afraid. Don't allow it to infiltrate fear into your, your being because These things are not to be afraid of. The reason why we end up fearing them is because we're taught to fear them so that we won't find our own power. And by being in that vibration of fear, you're preventing yourself from finding the protective um, mechanisms and from finding the protective beings that can assist you with these things because we can't connect with them. We can't hear them. So anything that you hear, take it with a grain of salt, like anything, not, I'm not talking just about this this uh, paranormal stuff but if you're watching something that makes you scared and you're like oh what's going on in the world immediately shift yourself back into love as as quickly as you can because that's that's the motive a lot of the time don't let things scare you because you have more power than anything than any of these beings and any of them and they know that so if you tell them hey you can't touch me if something is interacting with you in a scary way they can't touch you. you. Should be more scared of the people that they use as hosts. To be honest with you, <laughs> that's where, like, you see a guy with a sword, you run. Yeah. <laughs> you run. All right. Well, thank you so much, Par, for coming on. And I just, I really can't say enough how much I appreciate it because I really felt as we were talking, I was just having all of these thoughts come into my head about previous episodes and future topics, and like. I'm really seeing a lot of through lines and I really feel like you were meant to come on this show and that we were meant to meet. And I hope that we can continue the conversation again in the future. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Next, here is what Dr. Sidke said that he would like to leave us with today. I think, you know, you're, you're, you're uh, talking about these 
topics um, uh, will hopefully also bring to the awareness of the terrible things that have happened in Afghanistan and that we develop a more um, compassionate um, attitude towards the horrible things that uh, the people of Afghanistan have suffered so badly. And I have actually experienced the, the, the change. Do you know that there was a time that Afghanistan was known as the most peaceful place and the safest place in all of Asia. Oh, wow. Then by the late 70s, there was a culture of violence, uh, death and dying. So just, there's nothing in Afghan culture. Uh, the fact that violence befell on that place had a lot to do with outside forces. Uh, who had their own agendas and so on. So, so hopefully your, I mean, your uh, podcasts are interesting, but hopefully it'll also m make people more aware of Afghanistan and its history and so on. So that's a good thing you're doing. I heard a couple of stories. Uh, there was a young American couple who were driving at that time. It was easy to do. Uh, they used to just pitch their tents by the side of the road and hang out. Um, and their car broke down. And uh, they were in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, these folks with horses came around. And um, they said, don't worry, we'll, we'll take care of it. And they took them to a bus and they came to the capital. And the young couple thought that for sure, our car is lost. And then two days later, the car came fixed by the folk. It was a kind of a hospitality. Uh, you know, they treated guests with a special kind of care. That if you're our guest, then your well-being is our responsibility. And that was a pervading thing throughout Afghanistan. I even ran into that in Pakistan. Late at night, we were coming back from northern Pakistan and uh, from where I did my field work, and the, our tires blew out, and it was like 3 a.m. And everybody was asleep. The village was all, all shut down. They finally found this young man who came and fixed the, the tires. And I asked him, you know, how much do I owe you? And he said, no, you're a guest. This is our gift to you. So it's the same kind of uh, attitude towards uh, others. But it's when these outside actors with their own agendas and so forth come in, then it's the common folk that suffer. And that's the pity of it. Yeah. Yep. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm like I said before, guys, I'm going to link below some links to different books and different papers that you can read. And I just really, really appreciate you coming on the show and lending us your expertise and your perspective. Thank you. And I appreciate what you're doing. It's awesome. I think you're doing a cool thing. So what do you think? Wow. Wow. That was a really great interview i uh yeah I, I wrote a few things down but there was a lot to unpack there and, and the thing about the giants too not to make this about me but i i so my mom is from pakistan and she grew up in the mountains basically some people would say like afghanistan like she grew up in a very small village that was right on the border there um and her dad was afghanistan or her dad was afghan and 
she used to say that in their family they had giants but she would be like oh yeah they were like you know nine foot tall uh whatever or they were like 12 or something her and her sisters and her family would chime in and they would all say oh yeah we had giants in the family and I always just thought it was bullshit because they fucking exaggerate about everything that's like part of like we always say like oh Punjabis like like exaggerate everything right like and so I just assumed that it was exaggerating but now that I'm listening to what Parr was saying I'm wondering like am I the asshole here like do they really have <laughs> giants in their fucking family that could like shapeshift and stuff I, I don't know I believe every word she says by the way I ended up speaking with her for like an hour and a half and I'm not going to use all of what we talked about in this episode because there were a lot of tangents but if people are interested m- maybe I will post the full interview to our Patreon this is just really Making me want to, I don't know, ask my mom some more questions. My, I didn't get to really spend a lot of time with my grandfather because he died when I was really young. But my dad tells me he had the biggest hands out of anyone he had ever met in his life. And like he said that about, he's like, oh, Enzo has such big hands and feet. And that's why he brought it up. And he's like, you know, your mom's dad, he could palm a basketball like with one hand, just like super, super easy. He was like, he had huge fucking hands. And he was like, I remember right before he died, he he was like picking up these bags of cement, like dry cement and just loading them in the back of our car. And it's like he he was just picking them up like it was nothing. And everyone else that was at Home Depot was using like a fucking forklift. And he was just like palming this giant bag of cement and throwing it in the car and then grabbing another one like it was nothing. And now I'm starting to think like, wow, I feel I don't know. I just feel really magical right now because I'm like, maybe giants are real. Maybe my mom's not full of shit. Uh, Maybe I should be nicer. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you are a quarter giant or something. You just never know. That would make sense. Someone in her family had killed a Jin's child. That is crazy to me because it's like, I, I for some reason, I just didn't think of these Jin as having families, you know? And now I feel kind of fucked up, like problematic. Like, of course they have families, like they have lives. They have their own. Oh, you were born in privilege because you're not a djinn. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no, but I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the very interesting things about this concept that I don't think we have in the U.S., right? Like, I don't I have not heard at least of some sort of cryptid or being or ghost or spiritual entity that not only like operates on a plane of existence where it is thought to be able to possess people, to haunt houses, to wreak havoc, but also able to have free will and reproduce and procreate. And it is said that Jin can even fall in love with humans. So it's just super interesting. Yeah, that when she was saying that they can become obsessed with you and they're like, oh, only I get to possess this one. That is fucking terrifying. Um, I also wrote down, oh, yeah, cat the cats. So you would think if you're part of a culture, right, where like sometimes cats can be a djinn, then wouldn't everyone just be like, okay, collectively as a culture, we're not going to have cats as pets. Like it's just too sketchy. It's not safe. Look, I know they're fun. I like when they taste the string and all of that stuff too, but it's just too big of a risk for us to have a cat in the house. I think that's another part of Afghanistan that is so interesting is that it is 
for better or for worse, against its will or or maybe not against its will, there is this melting pot of cultures and belief systems because of how many times different empires have come, taken over, fallen. Another one comes, takes over, falls. So right. there are all of these different belief systems and some groups of people believe more in certain superstitions or certain um, spiritual beliefs than another group might. And so in her area, Wardok, which she said, uh, which I thought was really funny when she was like, oh, it's like the hillbillies of Afghanistan is how other people refer right. to them. She's like, yeah, they're, you know, <laughs> for them, it's really prevalent, the belief system in giants, because that's one of the areas that giants are thought to live. Um, and it's also really prevalent, right. the belief system of a fear of cats, because it's thought that jinn could possess them. But in other areas of Afghanistan, mm -hmm. maybe that belief system is not so prevalent. That makes sense. And, and the thing that she said about the olive oil smashing on the back of her head, I forgot to bring that up in the first interview, but I remember listening to that and thinking, oh my God, because the olive oil, it's like a wine bottle. Like it's a really thick glass bottle. And to have that strike her on the back of the head is fucking so sketch. And when she was talking about how, oh, I just, I'm not afraid because I just think of it as like this chaotic thing. And then she, she said it was like the Tasmanian yeah. devil. It gave me a lot of comfort and peace because I'm like, she's right. When you think of a demon or something like that as just being this psycho Tasmanian devil, like the character from Looney Tunes, it loses yeah. all of its like sort of power over you. Totally. You know? Yeah, I really liked those interviews. I really liked her. She sounds like she would just fit right in on the podcast. Have You know, she's just like, yeah, so I was just, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. Like something <laughs> happened, but whatever. <laughs> like she's just yeah, super unbothered. Totally. So, uh, yeah, we just want to thank Par so much for coming on the show. And I I really thank you, Par, if you're listening to this. It was such a delight to talk to you. And like I said, there were so many more parts to the interview that I just could not include for the sake of time. But if anyone's interested, you can find Par at Soli Par, S-O-U-L-L-Y-P-A-R. She is on TikTok. Um, and yeah, you can follow the links that are linked in her bio on TikTok if you'd like to work with her or reach out to her. Thought, wow, what a great way to round out an episode on cultural folklore than by talking to two people on opposite ends of the spectrum almost, right? So we have someone who grew up in a strict traditional religious household and is now finding her way and her path on a sort of new age, almost spiritual enlightenment, I think we might want to call it. Um, I don't certainly don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but that's the way I interpreted it. Um, so we talked to somebody on that end of the spectrum and somebody on the totally opposite end of the spectrum who has spent a majority of his life studying different belief systems and spiritual beliefs surrounding Afghan folklore. And not just that, but he has also studied different belief systems throughout Europe, throughout a lot of the Middle East and Asia. And he comes into this episode bringing a totally different perspective and I just thought, wow, what a great way to cover all of our bases. A lot of the time we have people commenting from like two different camps. There will be like the hardcore believers and the hardcore skeptics. And I thought it was very refreshing to hear right. the perspective of an anthropologist. It is interesting because as an anthropologist, you're basically just looking at a culture 
as just that like a system of beliefs and a language and different art forms and different ways that these people express themselves and different worldviews and and how they communicate with themselves and others and how their society is essentially structured and so this must have been significant to them for whatever reason and now I'm going to figure out why it was significant rather than just getting caught up on you know what the specifics are it's like looking deeper into what these beliefs mean as a whole in their society like what their worldview is really like you know yeah I thought it was really interesting because the stories we tell on the show that aren't folklore episodes are usually a narrative, right? It'll be like, this is something that happened in history. And now here are the theories. Like theory number one, it never even happened. Theory number two, it was a ghost. Theory number three, the person was having a false memory, right? And so what I really like about our folklore episodes is that there is no proving or disproving. It's just, this is what it is. This is what the folklore is in this region of the world. And It's very interesting, and I really appreciate him coming on the show to share his perspective. Yeah, also Folklore, best Taylor Swift album of all time as well, (laughs) so can't ignore that fact. Um, Okay, Natalia, well, do you want to do our sign-off? Very entertaining, Allie. Very well done and very well put together. Uh, I really had a great time on this adventure, and I learned a lot. I think it's really, you know, here in America, I feel like we don't really get to learn a lot about culture that comes from this part of the world. Because I know, at least for you and I, like when we were just little munchkins, there was a lot of uh, anti-Afghanistan propaganda that was floating around in the the United States stratosphere. And so I know that I just for a long time until I was like an adult, essentially, just sort of thought like nothing really happened in this part of the world except for war, uh, which is obviously a very oversimplification of what it goes on in Afghanistan. But it's a beautiful culture. And I love that we get to hear more of the nuances and the mysticism that comes from this part of the world and and the cultural practices I, I think that they're fascinating I'm someone who's very drawn to things that I don't n- already know or I don't understand obviously because I have a podcast that's about the paranormal and the supernatural and things that we don't understand so when I get to hear about worldviews from a completely different culture from completely different way of life than my own I, I I just find it really interesting it makes me feel the opposite of claustrophobic like claustrophobic is like oh the world is small I know everything the ocean ends and you know uh I can go to there's a fucking 7-eleven in every single country you can't escape McDonald's right. you know what I mean that's like a claustrophobic feeling but then when I listen to these interviews I start thinking like oh there's some stuff that I don't know about like I don't know all of the secrets of the universe and I don't even know all the secrets of of this plane of existence in this timeline in this globe you know so I really liked this episode as an adult it's easy to be cynical and it's easy to not have fun and it's easy to only do the things that help us survive, which is something that we also talked about in the interview with Parr. It is easy to just wake up, you know, you brush your teeth, you put on your clothes, you drive to work, mm. 
you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner, and you go to bed, right? It's very easy to get caught up in that repetitive way of living your life. And I think that by listening to stories from other cultures and listening to different pieces of folklore and just learning new things in general. Maybe folklore is not your vibe, but mm-hmm. I think learning new things, you know, it's it's like unlocking a different part of a map. Like if you're playing The yeah. Sims and you don't have all the expansion packs and then you buy a new expansion pack and suddenly that world that was gray is now colorful and it's unlocked and you can go there. Mm-hmm. It's like there's something magical and childlike about things like that. It's exciting. And right. so yeah, I agree with you. Yes. I think it's it's the opposite of claustrophobic. Like you said, it's it's realizing that the world is vast and colorful and there's always an opportunity to learn more. Yeah. I also, too, just have to wonder, like, can you get away with like, oh, sorry, I, you know, I said some really <laughs> fucked up stuff on national television. Like, it was just the gins. They got in my coffee that morning and I'm really sorry. I'm back <laughs> now. So everything's fine. <laughs> Oh, sorry, you guys didn't like that episode. It was written by a djinn. Uh, wasn't written by us. <laughs> BRB gonna go invest in some gigantic furniture for the giants to be more comfortable when they come over. Bye. Bye.